0: And so it's important that young black men from an early age are treated the very same way as other young men of different color.
1: Welcome to the Yahoo Finance Presents podcast. I'm Alexis Christophoris. Dama Mandela has some big shoes to fill. As the grandson of the iconic Nelson Mandela, he is keeping his grandfather's legacy alive by introducing him to a new generation. And I am so pleased to welcome him today on this podcast. Hello.
0: Hi, how are you?
1: I'm great. How are you is the question. You've been traveling all over the place. (laughs) Yes,
0: indeed. Yes, indeed.
1: Keeping busy and talking about the book, uh, the biography, Going to the Mountain. Life Lessons from My Grandfather, Nelson Mandela. Um, I was reading some of it, and uh, it's fascinating, it's inspiring. Thank you. D- share with our listeners one of your earliest memories of granddad.
0: Well, the, the first time I met him was when we were going to see him in jail. This was about two weeks just before you came out of uh, prison. Mm-hmm. Um, now, they had already moved him from Robben Island, and they put him in a house called Victor Verster. And they had put him there because they were obviously negotiating for his freedom. And they wanted him to denounce the ANC, denounce the comrades and all the work he had done all his life, so that he could enjoy the rest of his days living with his grandchildren. Mm-hmm. And so when we came, I thought this was jail as a seven year old. Right? There was a swimming pool. I didn't have a swimming pool. Um, right? I met a chef for the first time. We even watched The Never Ending Story. We met the man, of course. And that's when I said to myself, when I grew up, I want to go to jail. I know,
1: I read that quote and I <laughs> laughed out loud because that certainly isn't jail the way the way we know it to be.
0: Exactly, right. exactly. Um,
1: so that's your earliest memory that's, of that's, him.
0: That's the first time I met him. Right. Yeah. Um, the second time was actually when he took me in. Uh, he took me in at the age of 11 years old mm. and he sent my parents to university. He didn't want them to worry about me while uh, they were studying, so he wanted them to focus on that, and so he took me in. And I ended up staying with him till the end.
1: So he, I, I'm sure it was hard to put into words for this book just what he he meant to your life, but what were, what are some of the things, living with him day in and day out, knowing him as a child and then as, a, as an adult, what are some things about Nelson Mandela that we might be surprised to learn, or maybe something we just don't know about him?
0: Well, I'll tell you that he is quite the disciplinarian.
1: Mm-hmm. He
0: likes everything neat and in its place.
1: <laughs> I, can, <clears throat> I can get into that. <laughs> I can agree with that.
0: <laughs> you know, he'd be sitting in his lounge, reading his newspaper, and he'd look around, and he would see that all the paintings on the walls are of, course, <laughs> <possa>, traditional, <laughs> you know, traditional men and women wearing the tradition. and then there was one picture that didn't match, and he <laughs> said, listen, I want you to remove that one, make sure that it matches with everything else. Uh-huh. Um, he is a man actually of a great sense of humor.
1: Uh-huh.
0: He liked telling stories about you know his time when he was growing up, stick fighting, stealing pigs um and he was yeah, he loved to dance when he was in a good mood, he would tell stories.
1: Mm. I bet they were pretty incredible stories,
0: uh, yeah, some of them were pretty cool. I, I read
1: that one time you were there and, and Queen Elizabeth called, <laughs> and they just chatted it up, just like,
0: hey, how you doing, Liz? <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, he was always, I think, proud of that relationship he had with the Queen, yes. you know, because he picked up the phone and said, hello, Elizabeth, how are you? And uh, Grasa, you know, the, the wife at the time, right. was like, no, Matiba, how can you call him? You know, you have to call and say, Your Majesty, you can't just call her by her name. He says, but why not? She calls me Nelson. Uh, there you go. <laughs>
1: I like that attitude. So, so he, he, t- he was good at telling stories. He, he laughed easily, I guess, right? Yep, yep. Uh, did he have an angry streak? Did you ever see him really angry?
0: I have. Mm. You know, I really have. Uh, you know, I actually had lost my jersey for the second time for school, my school jersey. Uh oh. And so I had to tell him because it was winter and I had to get another one. And so I told him, and he said, Daba, today you will sleep outside.
1: Oh, that's pretty harsh.
0: And so I went outside, and um, as it was getting dark, he sent Mama Oli, the cook, to bring me a blanket.
1: Oh, goodness. I was
0: like, damn. (laughs) Damn, I'm sleeping outside today. Sheesh. (laughs) And then maybe twenty minutes after that, he came outside, uh-huh. and you know he'd call me. But you'd know he's angry and serious when he calls you by the finger. You know, one ah, finger,
1: uh-huh. the right in the finger, motioning toward you. Okay, like,
0: come here, little boy.
1: Uh huh. How old were you <sighs> when this happened?
0: I was probably around 13.
1: Okay, all right. Not too um, little, but okay. Not
0: too little. And um, called me in and said, if you ever lose another jersey again, you will definitely sleep outside.
1: <laughs> but he didn't let you do it. He didn't but let you do inside, it.
0: Go inside, eat yourself, and go straight to bed.
1: <laughs> I bet you never lost another jersey.
0: I never did. <laughs> I never did. I never <laughs> yeah. did.
1: Okay, so work accomplished there. Um, you, you say you were with him to the end. You lost your parents. Yes. How, how old were you when they passed?
0: Uh, my... Mother, I was 19, mm. and my father, 21.
1: What did that do not only to you, but to your grandfather?
0: You know, <clears throat> I think that touched my grandfather very much because I was the second son who mm. was now losing during his lifetime. As you know, it's very unnatural for a parent to bury a child. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be the other way around. That's right. So it was a very hard time, and you could see it in his face, in his demeanor, Mm -hmm. that uh, he was very disappointed. Um, I think not only in his son, but himself as well. uh, How so? How so? For not being more involved. Mm. Um, I mean, obviously, he was looking after his kids.
1: I would think that's... Being pretty involved. I mean, he you was know, he was uh, integral in raising you, and he yeah, was incarcerated yeah. for for a large amount of time of during your dad's life.
0: But he was not involved in his son's life. Mm. He may have been involved in his grandkids' life, mm-hmm. but the relationship between the two of them was not the best relationship. And I saw some of the ugly sides of that. Mm. You what,
1: well, you're a dad now. Yes. You have how many? Two. Two. How old are they?
0: My son is eight and my daughter's five.
1: So how, seeing that dynamic, losing your dad when you were a young adult, seeing the relationship he had with your grandfather, mm-hmm. and not just any grandfather, right, but Nelson yep. Mandela, yep. and having have, having Mandela be a father figure for you for really much of your life, how has that shaped the kind of dad you are?
0: You know, for me, um, what I realized, actually, uh, is that our parents and their parents never really spent much time with their kids. Um, It was always work, they had to sacrifice themselves to go fight against apartheid, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? So the time they spent just at home with their kids playing, conversating, a story to bed, those kinds of things, Mm -hmm. we never experienced that.
1: Mm -hmm. The simple things that we should all be able to experience. We
0: never experienced that. Like The fact that I'm able to read a book to my son when he goes to bed mm. I never experienced that not once Wow. in my whole life so I am just very grateful that we have this opportunity that our parents didn't have because they had a far bigger battle to fight right. called apartheid and that apartheid was systematic in which in a way it broke down the family unit and mm-hmm. it succeeded in doing that and it worked in doing that and hence you have the the economic problems that we have in our country, because of the legacy of apartheid.
1: Talk to me about the state of affairs in in Africa in African nations right now. I mean, there are a lot of perhaps misconceptions on the part of the Western world. Hundred percent. That um, we think of Africa and we think of of poverty and and violence. And what what are the biggest misconceptions? Do you think?
0: I mean. Typically, you know, most people think Africa is a place of war, Mm -hmm. poverty, disease, dictators. And the only positive thing being safari.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: And so we realized that around about 2008, 2009, and we started our foundation called Africa Rising, Mm -hmm. which is all about youth empowerment. Now, we want to be able to in a position to empower young people so that they can empower themselves to be at the forefront of Africa's...
1: That's key. You
0: understand? Right. Not multinational corporations being the ones at the forefront, but the people themselves. Mm-hmm. And so the only way to do that is to empower them through education, entrepreneurship development, technology, agriculture, and career guidance is what we do. And mm-hmm. we focus on high school youth. Excellent. Um, that's the
1: age to get them, right?
0: Well, we want to get them a little bit younger, mm-hmm. but that's the, that's the easiest age to communicate with.
1: right. Right.
0: You know, must also remember we're working in our village, in remote areas, rural areas, some of the most marginalized and, and poorest of the population. Mm-hmm. So it's not, it's not easy to get people out there. There's no infrastructure. We have to find a place with computers. There are no computers. Right. You know, f- kids are finishing high school without even touching a computer. And yet we are trying to build a new generation of African leaders who can compete on a global level. Yeah. You understand? So it's, it's, it's very important that we're here in America trying to get as much support as we can. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just about money, but your time is money. The skills that you have and you being able to come out there and mm-hmm. spend a week or two with young people, showing them how they can use technology, you know, is, is, is something that is unprecedented. It, it,
1: it's, uh. it's invaluable. You can't put yeah. a price tag on it. So yeah. who has been... Um, receptive? Um, If they are corporations, if they're individuals uh, with with this sort of background and their resources, who has been able to rise to the occasion and help?
0: You know, I must say that people are actually pulling their weight in Mm -hmm. South Africa. You know, last year we completed a three-month coding program for about 60 youth with Oracle. Okay. Uh, software company. Excellent. Um, we've worked with IBM. We've worked with different companies. And, you know, generally when you go to corporations in South Africa, they understand. They get it. Mm-hmm. And, they, and they pull their weight and they, and they come on board. You know, and they will give you, whether it's a teacher, computers, infrastructure, whatever it is that they can. You know, right. most of the time they, 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 they come to the party.
1: Well, that is nice to hear. But I, th- I guess your larger challenge would be changing people's perception, right? The the greater population at large. It's one thing to have these companies help, and thank goodness they do, because you, you do need assistance. But how do you begin to change the conversation about who and what Africa is with the rest of the world? How do you get that messaging out, which I would imagine is a big part of your foundation?
0: Yes. I mean, of course, um, you know, it starts with the conversation, of course. And from there, we really try to get people to understand that guys, Africa is not as bad as it seems. It's not as violent as it seems, right? You must remember that Africa is home to seven of the top 10 growing economies in the world.
1: P- people forget that. They we, forget that. we talk to market strategists all the time who actually believe that there is great opportunity in the emerging markets in Africa.
0: There are huge opportunities. The returns that you can get in Africa are, are unlike any other, right? Now, when you talk about holiday when you talk about going to resorts, think about Africa, think about the Seychelles, think about Mauritius, think about Cap Verde. Mm. We have amazing islands just off the coast of Africa, both east and west coast. Think about fashion, you know, think about the food, the culture. I don't have to tell you about the music and dancing because you already know about that.
1: (laughs) I have an inkling, yeah, yeah. But you're right, I mean, there's just, it's so rich in so many ways and I don't think that the tourism industry is doing a good enough job letting people know what opportunities are there.
0: And I think that's both from African side as well. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not doing a lot to safeguard people's um, fears to say guys, you are safe in Johannesburg. You mm-hmm. are safe in Cape Town. You know, of course you need to be vigilant, you need to be aware just of like here in happening. New York City. Just like in New York City. <laughs> right. If you walk down the wrong street at night, you know, in Harlem, in Brooklyn, you name mm-hmm. it. Or you,
1: South LA, you lots could, of places. You could get hurt. Right.
0: You could get hurt. Right. So uh, I don't think we're doing enough to really get out there and engage with the international community to tell about the successful stories that mm-hmm. that is happening on the ground, you know, back at home.
1: You're one of those successful stories because besides being a mentor and an activist and an author, you're also an entrepreneur. Tell us about what you're doing in, in, right now.
0: Well, right now, you know, I've been, you know, working with the family brand uh, for the past couple of years. You know, we've created, I work with my aunt, uh, she has the House of Mandela, Mm -hmm. a company which do wine and jewelry. Mm -hmm. And I was instrumental in creating a Hublot Mandela watch uh, about three years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, So now I've decided that Ndaba needs to do his own thing. (laughs) I like it. I need to stand on my own now. Right, right. right. Um, So... What I want to do and what I've realized in this global market is that Africans are consumers and we're not producing anything, right? So how do we create that voice in a global economic market? We need to have a voice. We need to have a place. At the table.
1: Right, absolutely. So
0: we need more African products. So what I want to create is two things. I want to partner with global brands Mm -hmm. and give them African flair. And number two, I want to ultimately create good quality African products for the global econ- for the global community.
1: Okay, that you, they can what, consume. what are these products? Agricultural products, What? what's your vision? Across
0: the board, across the board. Across the board. You know, our, um, right now we're looking at apparel,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? But we wanna look at maybe backpacks. We wanna look at maybe household products, right? Coasters, pillows, whatever the case may be, right? The problem is that we Africans, because when we become successful, what are you going to do? You're going to go buy a BMW from Germany. Mm -hmm. You're going to buy a suit from Italy. You're going to drink whiskey from Ireland, right? Yep.
1: I don't hear Africa there. Where are the
0: Africans? Right. So we want to make sure that Africans are also at the table. We need to get a share of the global economy.
1: And how do you propose to do that? Because... I'm sure I don't have to tell you, you need seed money to do that. And where is that coming from, in Daba?
0: Well, you know, to be honest with you, it has to come from the continent of Africa. Mm-hmm. I want it to be done by Africans for Africa, mm-hmm. right? And even though the money may not necessarily come from South Africa, but it's going to come from an African. Right. You know, because there's hundreds and thousands of us living in America or in Europe yeah. um, who are running corporations, who are successful um, and, you know, in my present experience, unfortunately, I've received more support from my brothers and sisters outside of home, outside of South Africa.
1: Why do you think that is? I
0: mean, I think it's always the case, no yeah. matter why you look at it. You know, people at home, I think, uh, they take you for granted. They are used to you, hmm. so they see you. And I think they also have the wrong impression sometimes to say that, ah, oh, Mandela, you know, you— you're spoiled. You come from a rich background. You're privileged. You have everything you need. You don't need our help. But that's not that's not the case.
1: I think that's an excellent point, And I commend you for actually making that point, because I think there are a lot of people, and perhaps more so in South Africa, who feel that, oh, come on, who's he to complain or ask for anything? How much of a roadblock has that been, I mean, because some people might think it's a it's a great help that Nelson Mandela's grandson goes to IBM and says, hey, look, I have this foundation. Can you help me? Yeah. He's a shoe in How much has it helped you? How much has it hindered you in your life, do you think?
0: I think it's it's been a great help as far as our foundation is concerned and, and you know, giving back to our community. But when it comes to business, mm. it has been a little bit, uh, quite of a bit of a hindrance. You know, people, um, I have tried to work with our government I have tried to work with individuals, and it just never comes together uh, for one reason or another. Yeah. Um, but when I travel and I meet complete strangers from faraway places, <laughs> they are so ready to, to get it on. Yeah, yeah, you know? it's and, funny. I, it's so weird, yeah. you know what I mean? But I think that's what a lot of people experience. I don't think it's particular to Mandela. I think you're right. I think most people in my kind of position are similar, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, experience similar things.
1: I want to um, turn the conversation for a moment to to the violence that we talked about. You know, there's there's this conception that perception that there is a lot of violence in, in Africa. Look, mm-hmm. there's a lot of violence in pockets of the United States. And something we see more and more is violence within African-American communities, what we call black on black crime. Mm-hmm. And we saw recently the murder of rapper. Nipsey Hussle um, mm. really brought to the mm. forefront a longtime tragedy that we see unfolding in African American communities a- across the country. And you know, if he weren't a famous rapper, Daba, we probably would not know about Nipsey Hussle. That's true. So, but you know, the more and more I talk to people about this, they don't deny that there's black on black crime, but they say it's a, it's a cultural issue that there are so many black men and and uh, young men and boys who see their manhood as sort of their last stronghold. Mm. That's how they see it within mm. the family dynamic, the community. How do you even begin to break that down and, and to get a hold on this, this crime where you're seeing black men killing other black men?
0: See, the problem with the society that we live in and that we come from historically is that the black man has been emasculated has been marginalized, has been oppressed. And so, you know, they end up feeling like second-class citizens in their home. So where is there a place where they can feel any bit of sense of, um, you know, worth, Mm -hmm. their self-worth? Where is it? It's amongst peers. Right, on the
1: streets, amongst peers, On the streets,
0: if they're operating on the streets, or, you know, on the the football field, on the basketball court, wherever they're operating, Right. right? And we like competition, it's good, but sometimes it becomes too much to the level where you are now degrading each other. Mm-hmm. We're degrading our woman. You know what I mean? because it's the only place where you can show your power or your self-worth. Right. you know that is the problem with, with the society. And so it's important that young black men from an early age are treated the very same way as other, Young men, you know, wearing different color. A young person, a uh, Caucasian, for example, is having a bad day. Hi, are you having a bad day? Let's talk about it. Mm-hmm. A young black man, oh, he's aggressive. Oh, no, please come and get your son. You know, he's acting like an animal, you mm-hmm. know. So how are we nurturing our young black men? Is it the same way as the young white men out there in the world? Mm-hmm. You know, we need to look at how we are treating our people and each other on those kind of levels, on the fundamental level, and it starts when they're young from five, six years old.
1: Right, and also for a lot of those youngsters, they don't have a father figure.
0: They don't have a father figure because most of them are incarcerated. Right. You know, we have an unprecedented amount of black males in jail, right, for simple stupid things like weed. I mean, really, are we really still putting people in jail for weed? (laughs)
1: I don't know what I the mean, rules are like is, in Africa but we're is, still working on legalizing it in a large part of the country here
0: <laughs> this, is, this is ridiculous I uh, mean this is you know a system of, uh, of, of racism that exists uh, that has been institutionalized right for so many years and now it's finally I'm happy to see that there's a lot of people you know you have the Jason Floms of this world who are out there doing the work to 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 make sure that young people who are doing, you know, crimes that are non-violent, non-serious, without weapons, are, are not sitting in jail. Right. You know, for for no reason. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that is the problem with, with with the system. So, it's important that we have we're doing much more work to 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 raise the level of pride and confidence in young Africans.
1: Who do you think is sort of getting the job done, getting the messaging right when it comes to? the African community, the African-American community? Who out there on the on the stage of either social media or wherever is getting it right?
0: I think Colin Kaepernick is getting it right. I think LeBron James is getting it right. Um, <clears throat> I think there's a lot of people. I mean, if we talk about um, Reverend L. Sharpton, who's out there, uh, if we talk about... Um, the gentleman on Blackish, I forget his name now, um, the actor.
1: Yes, I'm forgetting it too, but that's okay. Yes. I know I know he. Yes, people you, know, you know, I'm going to have to look about. it up while we're chatting, but yes.
0: Um, they're, so they're
1: getting it, why, why are they getting it right? What is it that they're doing? Why are
0: they getting it right? Because they're actually out there talking about those hard issues, mm-hmm. you understand? Uh, some of our, our brothers and sisters out there are not saying anything, you know. You need to say something. You, ne- you cannot just hide because you are scared of the corporation might you know, uh, not renew your contract. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. if you if you speak up, you know, you worry that you might not get your contract released. That's the problem, you know, is that we have been so tied down that if you do anything, don't you dare even think about saying anything. Otherwise, my friend, you'll find yourself unemployed. Right, you'll be cut off, cut you know? off whether
1: it's Hollywood, sports, or whatever it may be. By the way, Anthony Anderson.
0: Anthony Anderson. There you go. You know?
1: Um, uh, I'm sure your grandfather is looking down and and watching the work that you're doing. What do you think he might say about how you're living your life?
0: I don't think he'll be happy that I go out (laughs) on the weekends and I get to groove so much (laughs) in the New York City. However, I try to focus during the week and do my work. So I think he'll be happy, but he'll he'll say, Daba, you need to tighten up a little bit, my boy. I need to tighten it up. You need to pull up your socks just a little bit more. You uh-huh. know? Uh but in general I think you'll be happy.
1: And and then finally, um, your children didn't have a chance to get to know their granddad, right? What? My
0: son met him. Okay. And he still remembers him. He does. He does. That's wonderful. He does. What is
1: his memory of him?
0: Well, he just remembers uh watching T V with grandpa, yeah. um, sitting on his lap. Um Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, how old was he? Five years old. Yeah, no, they can remember
1: back then. So, what what is it that you tell them now that you will tell them about their grandfather?
0: Well, of course, I'll tell them that their grandfather, um, because you know, the thing is, they see their grandfather on the money. They see their grandfather everywhere. (laughs) It's
1: not every day that a kid sees their grandfather (laughs) on on their country's money. You're right. (laughs) Do they feel? I mean, I, I guess when you're that young, you don't. You don't quite understand the enormity of what of what he did, yes. and, and hopefully one day they they will.
0: No, but I I have already started telling them mm-hmm. that you know your grandfather actually stood up against a system that was oppressive against you know black people of your color skin color, um, and you know this is what he had to do and he went to jail and he came out and he you know he believed in nonviolence even though he did practice violence before, mm-hmm. but after all he learned you know uh, and and. And he, he came out and, and he practiced love, and he believed in unity, um, and he believed in people getting opportunity and second opportunity and third opportunity. Mm-hmm. You know, as long as they want to change their lives and they see the mistakes that they've made and they acknowledge the wrong that they've done and they want to rectify things, mm-hmm. that you will always have an opportunity to make things better. And we should strive to making ourselves better, you know, and not compare each to other too much, but work on yourself. But in working yourself, remember that you are part of the community. Right. And the community needs you to be your best because when you are your best, you encourage others to also be their best.
1: And you lift everyone up in the process. Yes. Ndaba Mandela, it was a pleasure. Thanks so much and good luck with the rest of the tour.
0: Thank you very much.
1: for listening to the Yahoo Finance Presents podcast. I'm Alexis Christophorus. Be sure to rate, review and share this podcast and remember to subscribe so you never miss an episode.